Mars is dim? You're alright, Jim. Mars is bright? Get ready for a fight. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for scouts. We watch the skies for the great tides of evil or change that are sometimes marked there. In the past decade, the indications have been that wizard kind is living through nothing more than a brief calm between two wars. Mars, bringer of battle, shines brightly above us, suggesting that the fight must break out again soon. How soon? Centaurs may attempt to divine by the burning of certain herbs and leaves, by the observation of fume and flame. I'm Heather Price-Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we spent kind of a while trying to remember the actual rhyme that we learned for that, which is about... Coral snakes. Yeah, or about poison ivy if you're not from the desert. <laughs> um, anyway. No, coral snakes are all over the place, right? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Red on... It's red on black. It's all Safe right, for Jack. Jack. Yeah, red on yellow. Dangerous fellow. That's or poisonous fellow, really like confusing that. because it just venomous. could be either one. Like, you could very easily be like, red on black, stay away from that, Jack. Red on yellow, good little fellow. Like, who the <laughs> fuck knows? It's not really very useful as a phrase. By the time you finished remembering which rhyme it is, the You're snake dead. has bitten you. Yeah. Or just jump away from the snake. Just don't fuck with snakes. Yeah, that oh. should be the actual rhyme. <laughs> red on yellow, don't fuck with snakes. The end. This week we're reading the chapters in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix called The Centaur and the Sneak and Snape's Worst Memory. As you have already noticed, you will hear cursing in this episode. You will also hear big spoilers for this and future Harry Potter books and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are first year teachers, pyrotechnics, recycled plot devices, bullies, and going out in a blaze of glory. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Ferenz has started teaching divination classes at Hogwarts School for Witchcraft and Wizardry. Is it Ferenz? Is it Ferenzi? I don't know how to pronounce this centaur's name. Jim Dale says Ferenzi, and I think they say Ferenzi in the movies, but I think that's stupid, so we can say whatever we want. Why do you think it's stupid? Because there's not an I-E in it, and it just, that's not how English works, although I guess it's not an English name. It's centaurish. It's, it should be like Forenza, if anything. Should I say Forenza? No, just say Forenza. Say whatever you want. We're going to get reviews that are like... They mispronounce Forenzi. Honestly, <laughs> if you're going to give us one star for that, like, get the fuck at us. Whoa! That's rude! Who cares? People are like, I love this podcast. The pronunciation of Forenzi is distracting. Whatever. I constantly switch between Voldemort and Voldemort, so... Well, so we need to come up with a cool nickname like Lovo, so we don't have to say Ferenz's name. <laughs> uh, the nickname for Ferenz would be... I don't know. Professor Horse. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Horse, of course. That's why Dumbledore hired him, because he's a stable genius. Oh my god. <laughs> so oh anyway, Forenzi has started teaching class. They're using this kind of old, not really abandoned, like semi-abandoned classroom. That like, It's just that classroom that's never really used. But the inside, Forenzi has turned into like this cool forest environment. So that's pretty fucking tight. Lavender and Pavati are really into him. Uh, all the girls have big old crushes on Ferenzi. So, anyway, in the first class, Ferenzi's like, everything Professor Trelawney has taught you is horseshit. Oh my and god. <laughs> wow, you really stored these up. I really did. So, saddle up. <laughs> this is gonna be more. Uh, everything Professor Trelawney has taught you is horseshit. Humans are concerned with like piddly little predictions about the weather. Us centaurs, we keep our eye on the ball. So, or the planets, as it were, to tell like the shit that really matters. Big picture yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah, about the fate of good and evil and the universe and everything else. Uh, then he promptly sets them to making little fires of like mallow sweet. And 
Sage. I, I, sage. Yeah, they burn Sage and Mallow Sweet to, like, look for signals in the smoke that will tell them things about the stars. I don't know, it was pretty confusing, but the bottom line is Mars is fucking bright, which means there's a war coming. And it's been bright for a while, so yeah, that's all Forenzi needed to teach them. Mars. Yeah. Look at Mars. Is it bright? If it is, shit's gonna go down. Uh, end of lesson. There will be only one question on the exam. Basically, Forenzi's main takeaway is reading the future is really fucking hard, and you'll probably fail at it, so... There you have it, kids. Also, he gives Harry a message. He says, tell Hagrid that the thing he's doing is not working and he should stop. So Harry has no idea what that means, but he delivers that message to Hagrid and Hagrid says, I'm gonna keep doing that thing I'm doing that I should stop. So pretty fucking typical Hagrid behavior there. During the next meeting of Dumbledore's army, everything is going swimmingly until but 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 motherfucking Dobby shows up and says, Harry Potter, there's about to be a huge plot twist. <laughs> Dobby, for some reason, knows that Umbridge is coming to storm the room of requirements and break up this meeting. Everyone panics and flees the room of requirements. Harry is running down the corridor. He gets tripped by Draco Malfoy. Umbridge shows up and hauls him up to the headmaster's office where basically half the wizarding government has assembled. Well, not half, but like the main part of it. Cornelius Fudge is there, Kingsley Shacklebolt, and this other Auror named Dollins? Dollish? I think it's Dollish. And Professor McGonagall is there as well. So Umbridge says, we caught Harry Potter red-handed running a band student group and we know this because we have an informant it's bu 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 motherfucking marietta cho's friend what's marietta's last name who knows edgecombe i think marietta edgecombe has totally narked on dumbledore's army to umbridge but her face is now covered in horrible purple boils that spell out the word sneak because Hermione jinxed the parchment that everyone signed, that if they gave it away, that they would, their fucking face would be cursed. So, snitches get itches, I guess. <laughs> In the wizarding world. So Marietta obviously is hesitant to tell the Minister of Magic what she told Umbridge and is no longer a cooperating witness. Also, Umbridge got information on the DA because she had a spy in the Hogshead during the kind of informational meeting that they held earlier in the school year. I forget the guy's name, but he was also responsible for the exploding toilet prank that Arthur Weasley had to deal with. But it seems like Fudge offered him a pardon, basically, in exchange for this information about Harry Potter. So the ministry is corrupt af there's like a bunch of back and forth what's the upshot of this they're not able to like totally prove that harry has been running the da or that harry broke any rules because this meeting in the hogshead was held before the decree was issued i, I don't know dumbledore clearly has this other life where he like wanted to be a lawyer or something but then umbridge reveals that she has the list of dumbledore's army members which says at the top of it, Dumbledore's army. So the jig is up, apparently, but Dumbledore says, this doesn't say Harry Potter's army. This was my army, and we were just gonna have our first meeting tonight, but it never happened. So Dumbledore's like, you got me, guys. Fudge freaks out. He orders Dumbledore arrested. Dumbledore's like, oh, well, that's where you're wrong. If you think I'm gonna come quietly You've got another thing coming to you. Fudge and his cohort of Aurors, including undercover Kingsley Shacklebolt, go for their wands, but then Dumbledore basically treats them like LeBron dunking and hitting like bank shots over so many Toronto Raptors. And they're all like spread out on the floor. Dumbledore grabs Fox and disappears in a blaze of flame and there's just fucking pandemonium, basically. As the dust settles from the shootout, Phineas Nigellus tells Fudge, who is just coming to his senses, I don't agree with Dumbledore on much, but you gotta admit, he's got style. 
The next day, there are new decrees pasted up all over school saying that Umbridge has replaced Professor Dumbledore and is now headmistress of Hogwarts. Draco Malfoy now has the power to dock points from student from houses because he's a member of the newly formed Inquisitorial Squad. You'd think they would give it a slightly less foreboding name, but I guess the ministry is just like all cards on the table now. We're I mean, going like she's like leaning into her aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> They're badge the silver eye. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Uh. So shit's getting real at Hogwarts. Fred and George have decided to basically go full-on peeve status pranksters. They're like, we were always holding back until now, but there's really no reason to. So they launch, like, this full-on fireworks display at lunch that starts at lunchtime that, like, plunges the entire school into utter chaos. These fireworks are, like, spelling out curse words, and if you try to make them vanish, they, like just multiply uh anyway chaos reigns at hogwarts also i forgot to mention this right before fred and george's fireworks extravaganza begins umbridge has harry brought to her office and she aggressively asks him what he'd like to drink yeah she's like hey harry like sit down have a drink with me there's definitely nothing in this drink so Harry, obviously, so Umbridge is obviously trying to slip Harry, like, Verita Serum or something. She's interrogating him about, like, where's Albus Dumbledore, where's Sirius Black, anyway, and then the fireworks show starts. So after the fireworks episode, Harry has another dream where he's in the Department of Mysteries, only this time he gets through the door and he is in this kind of warehouse with a bunch of, like, boxes with, uh, like silver, silvery kind of glass orbs, and he's looking for one, and he's about to grab it, and then he gets woken up by another fucking firework. So he's super bummed about that. Also, he knows he's going to be in trouble when he has occlumency lessons because he has not been closing his mind to Lovo. So the next day at occlumency lessons, Harry gets to Snape's office, but he's called away because a Slytherin student has showed up in a toilet somewhere else in the castle and needs to be extracted. It's uh, Montague, the Slytherin Quidditch captain who was shoved into a vanishing cabinet by Fred and George, like... Days earlier. Like, days earlier. <laughs> so Montague, like, went into limbo and then showed up in a toilet. So I don't know if he'll be ready for the next Quidditch match. Presumably he will be. So Snape goes to investigate and leaves Harry in the presence of the Pensieve, where he has been storing memories that he doesn't want Harry to have access to while they practice occlumency. Harry overcomes his curiosity and temptation to invade Snape's privacy by looking into the Pensieve. Snape comes back and occlumency lessons go great. No, that doesn't happen at all. Harry, of course, immediately fucking prods and pokes at the Pensieve and puts his head in, goes into Snape's past into a very upsetting memory in which his dad, James Potter, and the rest of the Marauders, they basically attack Snape after finals, or OWLs, Defense Against the Dark Arts OWLs, and humiliate him by turning him upside down and showing the class, like, showing the other students his underwear and they're like taunting him james also we see in the scene is like kind of an arrogant like jock who's like constantly preening lily evans harry's mom intercedes and says hey put him down you guys are being a-holes james complies snape then snaps at lily and says he doesn't need any help from filthy little mudbloods uh, which upsets Lily, but then she says to James, you're no better than him, don't... Don't at me. Yeah, don't at me. Don't, like, <laughs> I'll never date you ever. Oh yeah, James is like, James keeps trying to, like, get Lily to date him while he's, like... Like, torturing Snape. Yeah, but uh, anyway, Harry is looking on at this memory in horror when he feels a hand grip him by the arm. It's Snape. He's yanked back into the present moment. Snape 
flips out, says, I never want to see you in this office again. Don't tell anyone what you saw here. Harry runs out of Snape's office uh, as Snape throws a jar of cockroaches at him. Once outside, Harry realizes that he knows what it's like to be Snape, to be humiliated in front of others, and it dawns on him that everything Snape said about his dad was correct. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. So Forenzi, like, lays down the law about what seeing the future really is. Yeah, he's got a lot of horse sense. Oh my god. Sorry. I don't know if we can get through a... We might have to skip this section of the agenda because you literally cannot talk about this without making horse puns. Why did Forenzi go to Madame Pomfrey? Why? Because he was kind of horse. Just leave this dead air in. Do we have to stop recording now? Don't edit any of this dead air out. <laughs> um, I just like that he's like, oh, you think that the planets predict like whether you're going to bump your little head? Yeah. That, Give me a fucking break. That part is really cool. It's very funny. He's like, no, we're like on a whole different like scale of geologic time, bitches. Like, we're watching tectonic plates shift up in here. We are not concerned with, like, the daily lives of unimportant humans. Yeah, he, he says something like, you're like the the scurrying of so many ants. <laughs> it's badass. Which, I mean, I don't know how applicable these lessons are, but it's always good to be reminded of the vast scale of the universe and your relative insignificance in it. So... Professor Trelawney did astrology with us, said Pavati excitedly, raising her hand in front of her so that it stuck up in the air as she lay on her back. Mars causes accidents and burns and things like that, and when it makes an angle to Saturn, like now... She drew a right angle in the air above her. That means that people need to be extra careful when handling hot things. That, said Ferenzi calmly, is human nonsense. Pavati's hand fell limply to her side. Trivial hurts, tiny human accidents, said Ferenzi as his hooves thudded over the mossy floor. These are of no more significance than the scurryings of ants to the wide universe and are unaffected by planetary movements. Professor Trelawney, began Pavati in a hurt and indignant voice, is a human, said Ferenzi simply, and is therefore blinkered and fettered by the limitations of your kind. Harry turned his head very slightly to look at Pavati. She looked very offended, as did several of the people surrounding her. Sybil Trelawney may have seen, I do not know, continued Ferenzi and Harry heard the swishing of his tail again as he walked up and down before them. But she wastes her time in the main on the self-flattering nonsense humans call fortune-telling. I, however, am here to explain the wisdom of centaurs, which is impersonal and impartial. Yeah, props to Ferenzi that, for that. that. That's pretty intense. I'm reading this book about, it's called, it's kind of a funny name for a book. It's The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, because, uh, I don't know. It was in the free pile at work and it had like awesome dinosaurs on the cover. And I just thought to myself, I'm always either reading Harry Potter or mostly like early American history. So or the news. And yeah, well, I mean, mainly for my job at a news magazine, I'm constantly reading about like news and politics and I'm like immersed in the 24 hour news cycle. So I'm like, let's let's pull the lens way back. And it's been really satisfying. I don't think that often about the fact that humans have been here for basically a second compared to the vast scope of the history of Earth. Like, there were so many different kinds of dinosaurs, like, living and then dying out before, like, way before we were even here. Over millions and millions of years, and we have not even been here a million years. I know. It's, like, not a very original observation, but it does make me think, like, oh, man, history is not, our history is nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, like, matters, it totally matters and doesn't matter, like, simultaneously. Like, it matters to us, like, whether you bump your head tomorrow or 
fall in front of a train. Yeah, you know, like those things, uh, holding both ideas in your head is very interesting. Well, and Frenzy kind of has them do that. He's just like, your lives are what they are, but when we talk about the future, we're not talking about your future. Right. Because like, you are not significant enough for that to be what we are concerning ourselves with, which is a good and humbling lesson, and I appreciate (laughs) it. Speaking of books we've read or are reading... This scene reminds me really, really strongly of this book I had as a little kid. And I don't know how popular it was. I've never really talked to anyone else that read this book. So, well, read. It was mostly pictures. So if you did, um, send us an e-owl or something because I'm really curious. It was called The Salamander Room. And it was all visual. Like there was like text on the first page and text on the last page. And basically this little boy like finds a salamander and brings it home to like be his pet. And uh, he, like, makes a little kind of, like, terrarium home for it. But gradually his whole room transforms into, like, a whole ecosystem for this salamander. And, like, the roof rises off. And, like, there's, like, birds and these trees grow. And there's, like, a pool and moss. And he just, like, sleeps on the ground with a salamander. And it's, like, so magical and whimsical and beautiful. And when they walk into Ferenzi's classroom, I'm just, like so delighted it's just so cool and like a really nice brief moment of interest and calm in the like horrifying hellscape that is order of the phoenix i like when he basically dims the lights to make it nighttime and everyone gasps takes a lot to impress wizard students at this time. Well, he doesn't dim the lights. He makes it right, nighttime. Right, no, I mean he makes it nighttime. Well, this is another really cool thing about Forenzi is it's neat to see non-human magic. Mm-hmm. And it's cool that the kids are really impressed because Forenzi is very, very powerful, but he's not a wizard. And it's just nice to, like, expand their minds by introducing them to the kinds of magic that other magical creatures kind of perform. And so charismatic. He uh, is. Is it weird that all the girls are into him? Yeah, I was about to bring that up. He's half human, half horse, all hottie, basically. <laughs> uh, he's a bay horse. Oh my god. Okay, that was really <laughs> that good. That is good. That you was, must admit. Yeah, I'm there for that one. Yeah, it's just like a little icky, but is I can't tell if that's me being like bigoted against part humans, but like in a world where you like <laughs> get with a centaur like what do you do with him we can't be that bigoted because these creatures don't exist okay but you know it we we're no i know we're, we're entertaining it... the universe as though it yeah i i don't know uh does friends wear like pants no he's bare chested in class which is really scandalous and presumably like, he doesn't wear clothes on his human half e- yeah, even presumably his um Centaur hood is just there. Ugh. I mean, but yeah, am I no. Wrong? Unless he's got like some kind of underpants. centaur jockstrap. It's like yeah, a lot of he's naked. Yeah, he's nude in class. There's a lot of like when you start to think about having a centaur as your teacher. There's a lot of questions I have, and especially the girls being really into him because it's like. I know they're not, well, you know what? Fuck that. They're 16. They're thinking about actual sex. Yeah. They're not like idiots. So like what are Pravati and Lavender like envisioning with this creature? Isn't there like a whole branch of erotica about like having sex with like giant creatures like dinosaurs and stuff? There is. There's like dino erotica. There is dino erotica. There's also. There's almost certainly centaur erotica. I mean, of course there is. No, no, no. Of course there is. But there's a difference between erotica and here's a real live actual centaur that I want to like ride <laughs> for lack of a better word. Oh, I'm sorry. Man. Save a horse, ride a centaur. centaur. Ugh. Centaurs don't like to be ridden by humans. I don't know. I mean, depending on which kind of riding we're talking about, do we know that to be true? Also, are there female centaurs? Is this like... Uh, like a totally kind of like homoerotic culture. We've never met a female centaur up to this point. I don't know that there, I think it might be an all male species. Wow. No, that's not possible. Why? Yeah, I don't know. How are centaurs born? Lots of, there's like asexual reproduction. Okay, but they're like part horses. They don't lay eggs. Well, are they part horse, part human, or are they not actually either? And they're a whole other species they're and who knows thing. what they do. They just look like. 
I, man, I have no idea. I just, we've never met a female centaur. There don't seem to be female members of their herd. Maybe. Are there maybe female just, centaurs in like mythology? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe they're just really rare. That's fair. Or they have to like kind of hide away. Maybe it's like a super misogynist culture where like the female centaurs can't be seen. Or like a matriarchal culture where they're like protected and like right. revered. Like the female centaurs are like goddesses. Yeah. Wow, we're like really down a rabbit hole here. That's okay. I mean, I I don't know. I'm actually not. Anyone who is like up on centaur mythology, shoot us a message. Yeah, uh, I'm curious I, about this. I actually, uh, I guess we should have done more research about our centaurs. I didn't realize I had this many questions about centaurs. I know until we started talking about it. Um. Well, it's interesting also that Ferenzi took this job at the expense of being ostracized from his herd, which. I just wonder about that. Like, what makes it worth it to him? Because that's a really intense penalty to pay. So do you think that he, like, just is curious about spending time with humans? Or do you think... I kind of have the feeling that he knows that the wizard war is coming and other centaurs don't think it's important to, like, get involved and, like, fight on the side of the, like, quote-unquote good humans. And Ferenzi is a little bit more aligned with Dumbledore and, like, wants to yeah, it's possi- fight for him. I think it's possible that he knows it's a sacrifice, but he's seen somehow in the future that this is what has to happen. So, therefore, it's what he does. Uh, also, maybe Dumbledore just ponied up a lot to get him. We have to stop the segment. I You, ha- <laughs> you must, we must put a stop to you. Um, one more thing that's really sweet about Ferenzi is he loves Hagrid. Yeah. He, like, really wants to protect him, and he's like, Hagrid cares for all living beings, so we care for Hagrid. And that's true about Hagrid. Hagrid's the only centaur friend. He is. He is. Okay. Our least favorite plot device happens again (laughs) in these chapters. We have a name for it, which means that she does it entirely too often. It is, once again, a Dobby ex machina. Harry looked around to see who had entered, but there did not seem to be anybody there. It was a few moments before he realized that the people close to the door had fallen silent. Next thing he knew, something was tugging at his robe somewhere near the knee. He looked down and saw, to his very great astonishment, Dobby, the house elf, peering up at him from beneath his usual eight hats. Hi, Dobby, he said. What are you... What's wrong? For the elf's eyes were wide with terror, and he was shaking. The members of the DA closest to Harry had fallen silent now. Everybody in the room was watching Dobby. The few Patronuses people had managed to conjure faded away into silver mist, leaving the room looking much darker than before. Harry Potter, sir, squeaked the elf, trembling from head to foot. Harry Potter, sir. Dobby has come to warn you, but the house elves have been warned not to tell. How does Dobby know this? I don't know. This behavior is going to get him killed one day, though. Mark my words. Oh, that was unnecessary. <laughs> she apologized for him this year. Oh, her annual Battle of Hogwarts death apology? Yeah, which, why does she do that? I don't know. Eventually, she should apologize for not killing certain characters. Um, like who? Oh, man. What if <laughs> what if next year she's like, I'm sorry, I should have killed Neville. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she should start doing. I'm uh, extremely sorry that Draco didn't die. That would be People would get furious. Because people love Draco. Yeah. Draco's such a dick. I know. People want him to get a redemption arc. He kinda gets one. I mean he doesn't die. He sort of gets one in Cursed Child. Yeah, but that's not canon. Pottermore says it's canon. Pottermore's not canon. We have a really strict definition of what's canon. Which we break constantly, because as I said in the last episode, what is all of this if not bullshit? <laughs> what are we doing here? It's horse shit now. Oh my god. Uh, friend shit. Um, why anyway, is it Dobby. always Dobby? I, I, just, you know, he's... That's like all he's around for. It's like really unfair because he's a really good character and all he gets to do is deliver these like irritating missives. <laughs> Harry Potter, Harry Potter, something is about to happen. <laughs> it's like Miss Clavel, something is not right. I, I don't know. It's Peeves or Dobby whenever she needs someone to get from point A to point B. For no reason. no other logical way to get them there. Yeah. Also... 
here's a question slash quibble. How does the room of requirement work? Like, how can you get into it and have it appear the same way as, like, Umbridge doesn't have need of the room of requirement as it appears for the DA, so how is she able to get into it? They needed evidence. Do you think that's the... That's what, that's what she said. When she's in Dumbledore's office, she says, we needed evidence and the room provided it. Pansy Parkinson went in there and found basically just the letter that the mm. the note with all the I mean the um the list that seems like a really big loophole <laughs> in the mechanics of this room. but it's what they were looking for the room of requirement is amoral basically no but the room of requirement doesn't provide like what you're looking for you have to like have a specific it's different that doesn't fit with the like mechanics of the room i i don't know because then you could just be walking past it and be like i really need to get an a on my test i really need to get an a on my test like that's not what it's for it's like provides a space for you to like take care of a need it doesn't like give Mm. you artifacts that you need i don't know it must uh, that doesn't make any sense it must not there must be like a lag or something where it's still as it was why would there no this doesn't fit with how the room of requirement has been described as working Hmm. Like, if you went into the room of requirement right after Dumbledore, like, his shit would still be in there in a chamber pot? No. If, if you needed, like, if it was his doctor and he needed, like, a fecal sample, I, I guess. I don't think that's good writing. <laughs> that yeah, doesn't, maybe not. That doesn't seem, that seems like a hole to me. Part of it being the room of requirement is it should seal itself off to people who are the enemies of the people using it. Like, Part of what the DA needs is a room that is a secret. Right. So if someone else can get in without also needing that room, then the room of requirement hasn't worked. Like, it's broken. Nobody should be able to get into the room. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think that this part is very tight. Why do all the house elves know? I don't know. I guess they just like kind of hear everything. But it seems like Umbridge has specifically told Dobby and then told Dobby not to tell. That doesn't... Dobby's free though, so I don't know why he has to beat the shit out of himself for telling Harry. Habit? Yeah, I still don't think he can... I don't think he can disregard direct orders still. Mm. Right, because Harry then gives him an order. Yeah. Which actually, Harry gives him a very humane order. Harry says, okay, A go back and take and like protect yourself b lie and c don't hurt yourself again maybe dobby is under stress so he's reverting to his old habits that's possible too anyway fucking dobby ugh just like find another way to propel your plot girl <laughs> this is so old it's good to see dobby though i know but couldn't dobby appear in a way that was just like for dobby's sake and not to just be like, everybody run! It's some gillyweed! No, so dumb. All right, anyway, let's talk about Albus Dumbledore. Is this not one of his most badass moments? I maintain that it is. Fudge stared at Dumbledore with a very silly expression on his face, as though he had just been stunned by a sudden blow and could not quite believe it had happened. He made a small choking noise and then looked around at Kingsley and the man with short grey hair, who alone of everyone in the room had remained entirely silent so far. The latter gave Fudge a reassuring nod and moved forward a little, away from the wall. Harry saw his hand drift almost casually toward his pocket. "'Don't be silly, Dawlish,' said Dumbledore kindly. "'I'm sure you are an excellent Auror.' I seem to remember that you achieved outstanding in all your N.E.W.T.s, but if you attempt to, uh, bring me in by force, I will have to hurt you. The man called Dawlish blinked, looking rather foolish. He looked toward Fudge again, but this time seemed to be hoping for a clue as to what to do next. So, sneered Fudge, recovering himself, You intend to take on Dawlish, Shacklebolt, Dolores, and myself single-handed, do you, Dumbledore? Merlin's beard, no, said Dumbledore, smiling. Not unless you were foolish enough to force me to. He's like, I'm not stuck in here with you, 
you're stuck in here with me. It's very good. I also love that moment where he's just like, you seem to be under the mistaken impression that I will, Keska say, go quietly. <laughs> she builds Dumbledore up really nicely in this book so that what happens to him in the next book is truly shocking. Right. He's at the height of his powers here. So his downfall is really, really, really striking in book six. Yeah. And it, it, it's cool. This part's so cool because... Wow, we're giving Dumbledore so much props this time. Dumbledore is an amazing wizard. He is a shitty educator. <laughs> that is my main argument, you guys. He is an amoral person and a he's bad not, teacher. He's not amoral. He's acting from a higher morality, which forces him to make decisions that appear amoral. Maybe. I don't know. Well, we can get into all of this. I think that's that's kind of a question of like moral relativism. Yeah. And like that's like a trolley problem question. Like it's complicated. All right. Well, he makes we can we can do this. We'll get there later. We can do this in Deathly Hallows. Uh, Anyway, it's cool because we always hear what a powerful, badass wizard Dumbledore is, but we've never really seen him in action in this way we mostly kind of see him explaining strings shit and, and explaining twinkling. yeah his eyes twinkling uh but here he like goes for his wand and single-handedly disarms like the minister of magic multiple oars and dolores umbridge so. oh yeah and then like somehow just disappears which is very unexplained he like uses Fox. To do what? I don't know. I didn't know the bird could also teleport, but apparently he can. Fox is, like, a little bit too magical. <laughs> like, Fox gets a little absurd as far as... Pa- it's like, okay, so is Dumbledore powerful mostly because of Fox? Because it seems like Fox is the real powerhouse here. No, Fox is just... I, I don't know. No, Dumbledore doesn't get his power from Fox. No, I know. But, you know, we just see Fox do all of these, like, improbably incredible things. And it just gets a little much. He's just the Dumbledore of birds. <laughs> the Dumbledore of So birds. naturally, he would want to be with the Dumbledore of humans. Yeah. Um, why do you think Dumbledore covers for Harry like this? Um, I think he knows that Harry is more important than him in the grand scheme of things. Also, I think, despite our complaints about his style as an educator, I think he truly does care about his students more than his own self, you know? So he's going to, I mean, he knows what has to eventually happen to Harry, but he's going to protect Harry as long as he possibly can. I think it's sort of that. I think he knows that, They can't expel Harry. Harry is not safe outside of Hogwarts. Right. And it's safer for Dumbledore to leave than for him to let Harry leave. Okay. But not because he wants Harry to be safe for his own sake, but because, like, the plan requires that Harry not go anywhere yet. I think I agree with you, basically. I think Dumbledore realizes that the most unsafe thing that could happen right now is for Harry to have to leave Hogwarts for any reason. Like... He's more able, Dumbledore's more able to keep Harry safe from afar than to have Harry go outside of the walls of Hogwarts and try to keep him safe, like, in that setting. Um, And he doesn't want to keep Harry safe for Harry's own sake, but, like, part of the plan is that, like, Harry stays put for now. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder, like, is Dumbledore kind of flattered that Harry started this paramilitary organization is in his name i I think he weighs in at the end of the book i forget what he thinks of it yeah i legitimately don't remember i think it's also possible that dumbledore knows he can only be so effective within hogwarts and now is like a logical time to take the fight outside oh yeah i actually think he's sort of been waiting for an excuse to like bounce He's just like, I need to go, like, actually lead the resistance. And, like, the school will be fine. Like, McGonagall's good. Umbridge is just not going to be successful in this role. And I don't, we don't have to worry about her much anymore. Because the thing is, she gets, like, she basically gets promoted way, 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 way out of her, like, locus of control. And she promptly loses control of the school. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. And in a way... 
this is like a strategic retreat. It's like the Fabian strategy. It is like the Fabian strategy, exactly. So he knows this is just going to be a Pyrrhic victory for Fudge and Umbridge because the backlash it's going to inspire is going to be swift and intense. Right, and he knows that he will probably gain more allies this way Mm -hmm. by like standing up to her well he builds his legend immediately all the students are like did you hear about Dumbledore what totally no he and you know like he his his sort of like reputation has been so tarnished lately that he did need to make a move that was like (laughs) I'm still motherfucking Dumbledore you guys like don't worry don't get it twisted what do you think about Hermione's hex is that an ethical thing to have done I think if you sign a document in the wizarding world, uh, you can expect consequences for breaking whatever contract you've signed. Especially you if know? it's like a secret society, yeah. Yeah, I, I think knowing what we know, it should have been implicit to everyone who signed on to Dumbledore's army that there would be consequences for breaking the vow of secrecy. But I do think there's differing levels of understanding about what Dumbledore's army is because right. I do think a lot of kids are like this is a neat club where I'm learning something I'm not learning in class and Harry Mo- Ron and Hermione well not Ron we'll talk about that later but where the fuck is Ron in this book but Harry and Hermione are like this is real and we are actually training for actual battle yeah. so I think the like stakes are sort of misunderstood by some members like Marietta was probably like she was tattling, and she didn't understand that she was, like, compromising the mission of the Resistance. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Cho kind of thinks that, too. But Cho, like, I have less sympathy for because she does know the consequences. Boy, it's just savage of Hermione, though. Oh, it's so good, though. Hermione is, like, in a really interesting headspace in this book. <laughs> she even at one point says, she's like, I'm feeling a little bit... What does she say? Rebellious. Like, I'm feeling a little bit rebellious. And, and she's like, like uh, you're just starting to feel that way? Because you've been done rebellious, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of, is it ethical, Shacklebolt's memory modification? That's a little below the belt. I mean, I think it's for Marietta's own good, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the other thing is like, yeah, Umbridge isn't on Marietta's side. Right. Dumbledore feels sorry for her because Fudge and Umbridge are trying to make her a pawn. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I do feel bad for Marietta. It's like really annoying that she did that and like really stupid, but she didn't understand the stakes. No. She Cho was... really does. Yeah, um, or should. Ugh, I know. Cho's just like not thinking. It's like kind of annoying that she's like so like girly whirly because Cho is really smart and should be able to like grasp what's going on here and just her like consistent inability to do that is an annoying tick from Joe I like I think Cho should be written more I think she should be a stronger character I don't Mm. like how she's written but I mean we can talk about that at a different time Percy is the actual fucking worst dude Percy I don't know what to say other than Fuck Percy. Yeah, he's terrible. And Fudge is making this like hilariously massive mistake. Like yeah. Fudge is standing there like he thinks he and Dumbledore are like evenly matched. And he's <laughs> like, oh, I got you. And Dumbledore is like, honey, what? Yeah, I'd say Umbridge and Fudge way overplay their hand. Also, they never seem to come into these situations with enough evidence to like lock down their case yeah it's really like it's so much you're right it's a lot like the hearing when Dumbledore is like uh I don't think you guys like did your whole jobs right like come at the king don't miss right but anyway they're just so like trigger happy with Harry and and they don't seem to understand like the lengths to which Dumbledore is going to go to protect Harry which is really foolish of them yeah well They, they don't get it they, they don't, yeah, super they don't, don't get, get the stakes. No. And, uh, and I think, yeah, Fudge clearly is actually in denial about whether Voldemort is back. Umbridge, I have questions about. I actually just don't think she cares. No, I, I don't think she really is worried about it either way. She's in it for number one. Yeah. And she's going to use whatever, whatever scenario is in front of her to uh, kind yes. of promote her career. Uh, speaking of Umbridge, 
we have this whole scene where she pretty obviously tries to slip him Verita serum in his tea. Umbridge should have known this was not going to work. Yeah, like, how stupid does she think <laughs> Harry is? He's, like, performatively making the tea, like, <laughs> Like, turns her back and, yeah. like, tips something into it, and she's like, it's milk! Uh, and then I do like this moment where one of the kittens on the decorative plates in her office has these shocking blue eyes that remind him of Mad-Eye Moody, and he thinks, oh, Mad-Eye would never want me to take, like, food or drink from a known enemy by Mad-Eye Harry Means. Barty Crouch Jr. teaches him that. Uh, Barty Crouch Jr. has given Harry all the skills he needs to defeat Lord Voldemort and the Dark Arts, basically. Yeah. So Barty fucking fails. Or Barty was a really, really good defense against the Dark Arts <laughs> teacher. Barty missed his true calling, which was being an educator, at which he was extremely effective. I know. It's funny because, yeah, Harry's like, oh, and then I remembered Mad-Eye. It's like, you've actually spent maybe 10 minutes with actual Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> All of your Mad-Eye memories are your sworn enemy, Barty Crouch Jr., right hand man of lovo who totally it backfires spectacularly oh yeah uh, oh, he gives man. really good advice that whole book barty's kind of lucky that the dementors take him out at the end of goblet of fire because <laughs> lord Voldemort would be like uh what you, you like literally <laughs> trained him <laughs> that's so true um one thing like that is strange to me here is when Umbridge asks Harry where Sirius Black is, it's strange that she doesn't want to know more about that because the Ministry line is that, like, Sirius is rallying Death Eaters to himself. And I just, wouldn't she be wondering why Harry Potter is working with Sirius Black, who killed his parents, essentially? I think that Fudge probably told her Dumbledore's story and that she understood that it was true. I think she probably knows the real deal with Sirius. Right. Because Fudge knows the real deal with Sirius. He just doesn't believe it. But Under Umbridge is shrewd enough to have figured out, like, that Sirius Black is working for Dumbledore. Well, and she's been eavesdropping on the conversations. Right. So she knows the deal with Sirius, I Well, think. then she knows Voldemort's back. So, wait, why would she know Voldemort's back if she knows about... Sirius. If she's been listening to Harry and Sirius talk to each other. She probably thinks that they're all experiencing the shared delusion that Dumbledore has convinced them of. I don't know what she believes. She but probably like, doesn't believe anything. It doesn't, she just wants to punish people. It doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, I, you, yeah, I guess you're right. She doesn't really care about what Harry's motives are for interacting with Sirius Black. She just wants she to She wants know, to be the one that catches him. Uh, it's just like... Because she wants that, like, cap feather in her cap. Right. It's just really w strange, right? I mean, the in-curiosity that Dolores Umbridge displays, like, throughout these books is, like, one of her most kind of horrifying characteristics. And her biggest weakness. But it is, yeah, the thing that makes her so frightening. Is she just, no, she doesn't care what's going on. She wants to win, and, yeah, like, she doesn't care whose side Sirius is on. Sirius is wanted. She wants to be the one that ca that catches him in order to, like, add that to her sort of, like, professional cachet. Right. She doesn't give a shit who he is or who he's working with. She also probably knows that Sirius will lead her to, like, the larger, like, den of iniquity that is the Order of the Phoenix. Like, she knows Sirius is working for Dumbledore, not Lobo. Right. She clearly knows that. If Fudge thinks that, presumably she's passed this on to Fudge. Does Fudge think Dumbledore's like I don't think she like passes a... things on to Fudge. Yeah, maybe not. No, I think she's like, actually, I think she's acting independently from Fudge a lot of the time. I'm just trying to get a feel for her motivations and... I think her motivations are like power and like her, like you said, looking out for number one. I don't think she's curious about any of this. Uh, it's very weird. She doesn't care what's actually going on. All right. And I don't think she cares if Lovo is back because I think she has a pretty good sense that she could ingratiate herself with the bad guys just as easily. And she does. And she does really well. Yeah. I don't think that she she's totally amoral. Right. She doesn't really give a shit if like Voldemort might take power because she's like, yeah, I could do that. I could be in his administration or this administration. Not much difference. Right. 
So then we get this like massive relief, which is the scene where the twins light off all the fireworks, <laughs> which is the only time I have like smiled or laughed in like hundreds and hundreds of pages in this book. It's truly hilarious. Oh my God, it's so good. And it's a really good way to just like remind Umbridge that she can't actually do this job. She <laughs> immediately loses control of the school. And I just like that Fred and George are like, we've been holding back. And everybody's like, LOL, no way. And they're like, did you ever see us get expelled? <laughs> like, that was on purpose. We could have. Speaking of Umbridge, really not settling into this role very well. I like that... Dumbledore's office literally seals itself against her. I like any moment where, like, Hogwarts itself is, like, a character that yeah. has, like, motivations and feelings or, like, is sort of sentient. Yeah. So so she never counts as an actual Hogwarts headmistress. Right. She's not in the Pantheon. Yeah, I think, I don't think she ever gets, like, a painting. I could be wrong about that. No, she's but... not allowed in the office. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't occupy the the seat right. of the headmistress. Yeah, because Hogwarts has these, like, antibodies. Yeah, which is amazing. That expel, like, foreign agents. Interestingly, and we don't have to get into this too much yet, but it does accept Snape yes. as headmaster later on. So clearly the headmaster's office and the whatever that represents has some way of knowing that Snape is legit. Because, mm -hmm. like, the paintings do his bidding and stuff. All this stuff that doesn't happen for Umbridge when Snape takes over under the Lovo administration. He's allowed to be the real headmaster. So let's talk about James and the giant bummer. <laughs> In a book full of fairly upsetting chapters, I think that Snape's worst memory is a strong contender for most upsetting. Besides some of the obviously horribly upsetting things that are about to happen. It's just um, upsetting all the way down. Yeah, but... It's interesting. There's this sort of, like, surge on kind of, like, Harry Potter fandom social media of people wanting, like, really hungering for more stories about the Marauders as young men and, like, this kind of, like, oh, they should do a Marauders prequel and, like, the Marauders, I'm sorry, you guys, they're terrible. They're thoroughly unlikable. They're awful people. Yeah. They're not good young men. No. Only kind of Lupin. But Lupin is, like, pretty complicit. He's because, very like, complicit. Lu Lupin, like, needs the protection of the others to, like, hide his secret. Right. So he can't really go against Sirius and James. Right. Because he, like, why would he trust them? No. After what he's witnessed? Yeah. James Potter and Sirius Black are really nasty young men. Yeah, they're not good. And nobody, like, deserves to get murdered, obviously. But they both reap what they sow in their later lives. Pretty they, hard. Yeah, uh, especially James with his treatment of Peter, his very patronizing, treating him as a mascot. Like, yeah, Harry's like, oh, his best, one of his best friends turned on him. And it's like, no. He was never nice to Peter. abused lackey turned on him, which is the least surprising outcome for that relationship. Right. Yeah, Peter just found, Peter treated James the same way he later treated Voldemort. Right. So, and it's it's kind of shocking to, to see that. And it's shocking for Harry. Um, this is a really foundational chapter, I think, in... The Harry character arc. Yeah. And in some ways, Sirius is even worse. Like, James is kind of the ringleader of the torture of Snape, but Sirius is just, like, so self-involved and, like, conic and just, like, obnoxious and obsessed with James. Like, clearly obsessed with James. Yeah. They really don't have any justification for going after Snape, except they don't like him. He well, so and he says as much. James says as much. Several people watching laughed. Snape was clearly unpopular. Wormtail sniggered shrilly. Snape was trying to get up, but the jinx was still operating on him. He was struggling as though bound by invisible ropes. You wait, he panted, staring up at James with an expression of purest loathing. You wait. Wait for what, said Sirius coolly. What are you going to do, Snively? Wipe your nose on us? Snape let out a stream of mixed swear words and hexes. 
but his wand being ten feet away, nothing happened. Wash out your mouth, said James coldly. Scourgify! Pink soap bubbles streamed from Snape's mouth at once. The froth was covering his lips, making him gag, choking him. Leave him alone! James and Sirius looked around. James's free hand jumped to his hair again. It was one of the girls from the lake edge. She had thick, dark red hair that fell to her shoulders and startlingly green almond-shaped eyes. Harry's eyes. Harry's mother. All right, Evans, said James, and the tone of his voice was suddenly pleasant, deeper, more mature. Leave him alone, Lily repeated. She was looking at James with every sign of great dislike. What's he done to you? Well, said James, appearing to deliberate the point, it's more the fact that he exists, if you know what I mean. So the question here is, like, is this memory accurate? Right. Because we're being really hard on James and Sirius, but this is, like, through the lens of decades and decades of Snape's pretty distorting hatred. So a thing that's interesting about the Pensieve is you're getting really subjective memories and memory changes over time but you can also tell when a person's own memory has been modified no i don't think it's modified i just think that there's like a subjectivity to snape's remembrance of this event and like sirius even later says like it didn't really happen that way and snape is like has remembered details differently than we remember details and that's true like of any encounter like i can remember encounters that I've had with people where I think they were really nasty and they probably think I was really nasty and like we both might both be right yeah yeah because one thing you wonder if it was as bad as this because Lily Evans does end up like two years later marrying James Potter when she's pretty thoroughly disgusted with him here Yeah, it's really confusing why Lily would fall for James if this is an accurate representation of James's behavior, which makes me think that it might be a little bit skewed. Right. And also, Snape does not comport himself well in this scene either. Like, he it's really terrible. It's actually very disturbing what happens to him. But the first thing he does when Lily defends him is call her a mudblood. Right. So, like... He's feeling humiliated and... Lashing out. Yeah, but still, you don't lash out by using like an invective against someone. (laughs) That's really nasty. Yeah. Another question I have is, I don't really understand why Snape guards this memory so closely because doesn't it prove everything he's been saying? Like, why would he be so afraid of having Harry see this? It was humiliating for him. Right, but don't you think there's part of him that would be like vindicated by like Harry realizing that Snape has not been lying about his father. That maybe he just pulls out anything related to Harry's parents. Just so he doesn't. Because I mean, he has to guard uh the big secret in the whole series. Yeah. And I also think that kind of back to your point from a couple episodes ago, like there's a part of Snape that is sort of low key trying to protect Harry. And maybe he didn't actually want Harry to see, like, the full force of his hatred for his dad and vice versa. Right. Like, he actually might have realized how damaging that memory would be for Harry. And, like, in a, there's a universe in which he didn't want him to experience that damage. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. But, God, it, they are awful. They really They're are so, so bad. nasty. Uh, if this memory is accurate. It seems like... It's at least partially accurate. I mean, it happened. Mm -hmm. It's like Snape remembers doing nothing to provoke them. I doubt that's true. Snape's main MO is provoking people. Right. So, like, he's really into provocation. So I I would be surprised if that part is accurate. But they were at very least dicks. It'd be terrifying to be bullied with wands. It really would be. Like, he makes... soap appear in his mouth that's like it's, it's all really disturbing yeah it's like really visceral and nasty yeah and it's just really hard to go back to feeling sorry for harry's dad for dying at the hand you know <laughs> you well, feel kinda, sorry for harry's dad for dying well we feel sorry i feel sorry for lily yeah um but and i like it's sad that harry's dad died because harry's an orphan but like it's hard to go back to james as a good guy well i think he the story is he matures, right? Or he In like kind of two years? Yeah, I don't know. He kind of the time frame is like pretty compressed. And he sort of 
doesn't because it's not like he ever like makes peace with Snape. Yeah. I mean, he gets killed before he has the chance to, but fuck, like Sirius doesn't grow out of it. Well, Snape becomes a Death Eater, so of course he's not going to make peace with Snape. But Snape becomes a Death Eater like partly because of the way that the good guys, quote unquote, have treated him. Yeah, but Snape's also responsible for his own actions. No, 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 I know, but like... Yeah, he has motivations, you know, he has clear motivations when you, for joining Voldemort. When you watch people get lionized as like on the right side and you know, it's like, it's like the Me Too thing. Yeah. It's like being a woman and seeing like your abuser be like lauded and like adored and seen as like either you know really talented or like really altruistic or just like good that's really warping and it warps your sense of yourself and like what you know and what you're good for it grows bad things inside of us and to be fair like women who were abused don't like turn to the dark side but it like it makes it really hard to hold that inside of you so like Snape gets to watch his like tormentors become like heroes and yeah, that pissed me off too. I don't blame Snape for being pissed. He develops really understandable anger. It's interesting that Harry comes to this realization that he maybe has more in common with Snape than his own father. Well, yeah, because he's bullied and he's an outsider and he understands what it's like. I mean, you know, his dad is like no one more than Draco. Yeah, you're right. Um, Very much like Draco. Rich kid, talented pretty popular within his house yeah but like dismal as a person (laughs) yeah it it's hard to know that i mean you know and it's one of those things like it's hard to think about your parents as having been people Mm -hmm. before you existed and to find out that not only were they people but they weren't necessarily great people would be really painful yeah because sort of like one thing that's weird about being somebody's child is like I guess you intellectually know, maybe this, maybe I'm wrong about this, but what a feeling I have is like you intellectually know that your parents like existed before you did for a really long time, not mm-hmm. a really long, but like for a while, but like your conception of your parents kind of blinks into existence when you do. It's disorienting to learn like the kinds of mistakes they made and the like experiences they had that didn't have anything to do with you existing. Yeah. So, and Harry's, like, finding, like, the most extreme version of that. It's even tougher for Harry because he doesn't have access to his parents to ask them about it. Or, and he can't, he doesn't know them now, Mm -hmm. so this is all he has. I know, it's really hard. I feel sad for him. But, like, fuck James Potter. Ugh. (laughs) What an awful person. Lily, what you doing, girl? Well, no Lily, no James, no Harry, so. I know, but still seems like a mistake. Maybe not a mistake. It's a weird choice that she makes. He's hot. But you think she'd, like, care about more than that. He's brave. He joins the Order of the Phoenix. That's he's on the side true. of good. Sort of. He's not a he's not a wizard Nazi. That's true. That's a really low bar. That's true. For, for, <laughs> for courtship. <laughs> um, speaking of low bars, where the fuck is Ron? I don't know. What has Ron done in this book besides get named a prefect and lose a Quidditch game by giving up? They lose 240 to 230, which and Ginny catches the snitch, which means he gave up so many goals. Yeah, 24. Goodness gracious. That's yeah, a lot. Ron is just contributing almost nothing for like hundreds of pages on end. He just chimes in every now and then. I know. He's like, blimey. Exactly. He doesn't even <laughs> chime in like ideas. It's just really weird. I every time we're like planning for this, I'm like, and Ron Oh, Ron doesn't do anything. Okay, Ron never eats mind. A giant plate of eggs. We don't need to talk right. The, in this chapter, Ron eats bacon and eggs and like mumbles with his mouth full. Yeah, most of the descriptions of Ron in this book revolve around whatever he's eating at the time. And how much is in his mouth when he tries to make the point, which is usually <laughs> something like blimey. <laughs> Yeah, so Joe kind of, like, gave up the ghost on writing Ron in this one a little bit. <laughs> uh, poor Ronald. I guess he's he has a big chapter next week, so that's cool. All right. Um, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Seamus Finnegan for patching things up with Harry and immediately signing up for Dumbledore's army. Although, 
his first meeting gets raided. So, tough breaks for Seamus. But it's cool that he comes around and tries to make things right with his uh, dormitory roommate. I don't know. Props to Seamus. My unsung hero is Ernie McMillan, who is just like really palling around with the Gryffindors this book and shouts at Draco Malfoy when Draco tries to take points away from them. He's like, mate, we're prefects. You can't take points from us. Fuck you. And Draco can, which is terrible. But Ernie's kind of stuffy, but I like him. I think he's a good guy. Yeah. He's like good at sort of like intra-house relationships. Very Hufflepuff he, like, of he, him. It is very Hufflepuff of him, but he like maintains friendships outside his house, which very few others do. So good for him. This week's episode is brought to you by Weasley's Wildfire Whizbangs. They're lit. <laughs> the audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you prefer to do that. You can connect with us various social media places at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We would also love it. We've gotten some really nice ones lately. If you sent us an e-owl, that's quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We read all your mail. It's always great. You guys are really smart and fun and should probably be doing this podcast yourselves. So thank you for those. Next week, we will be reading the chapters called Career Advice, which we're super stoked for because <laughs> what even are wizard careers? And Grop. So see you then. Thanks, amigos. Enough of this rubbish, said Fudge, pulling out his own wand. Dawlish, Shacklebolt, take him! A streak of silver light flashed around the room. You know, Minister, I disagree with Dumbledore on many counts, but you cannot deny he's got style.